You're listening to MSS Insights, Innovations in Market Systems, a limited podcast series hosted by MarketLinks and the Bacar Institute during the 2023 Market Systems Symposium. This series explores the critical role market systems development practitioners play in shaping international development outcomes. In today's podcast, we're, we're, we're going to cover this increasingly important topic of uh, applying market systems or systems lenses in conflict-affected uh, context. We're seeing this increasingly more, this issue of market systems kind of evolving into or being applied in conflict-affected situations. Uh, some of this aligns with the emerging lenses of market systems resilience. But what we're finding out and learning very quickly is the use of systems lenses is central to understanding the, the kind of complex dynamics that are often at play uh, in conflict-affected situations, and also quite essential for figuring out how to engage in the delivery of uh, immediate needs, but do so in a way that sets the foundations for uh, emerging out of a conflict better than where you started and leading to a, a, a better path, a better direction for development that is more competitive, inclusive, and resilient over time. We have a great guest today. She is the chief of party uh, for a project in Ukraine. Thanks, Mike. I'm Ksenia Sidorkina. I run the agro activity in Ukraine, uh, which started in 2019. How did uh, you emerge to have uh, kind of combined MSD and in a conflict situation? I think that would be quite interesting since that's not really where you guys started in the project. Indeed, uh, starting in uh, 2019, uh, it was more of a classic MSD approach. Uh, uh, we have the luxury to uh, stand on the shoulders of the giant of the predecessor project. So we had a lot of activities already planned out. But when the war broke out, uh, the full-scale invasion, we had to pivot really quickly. And what I found was actually extraordinary that the mere fact that we built out our program using the market systems approach actually helped us to react quicker uh, in the time of crisis. Yeah, maybe you could dig in a little bit more, uh, especially considering the, the 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 scale of which the the conflict kind of took on, which is quite disruptive for the team itself, but also the worldwide implications. Since Ukraine is such an important supplier of food, uh, maybe you could kind of talk into how systems thinking and MSD approach kind of helped you realize that you're dealing with the, a lot of complexity here. Well, this is a huge question. I mean, the answer. Uh, it's a really sure. long one, next one. It's the full-scale invasion when we found ourselves at five in the morning with the whole country being shelled by missiles. Uh, and while we were not in denial and preparing ourselves, we could not possibly imagine that the scale of the invasion will be so huge. And the immediate tasks for me and for my team were the safety of the team and our partners. Uh, for the next couple of weeks, uh, we will see a lot of evacuation. Luckily, on my team, uh, the immediate team members were all safe and managed to evacuate within the next uh, several weeks. But uh, it's hard to remember, but it's also impossible to imagine until you don't go through this, uh, what it is still running a program while being in the basement or in occupied territory uh, under missiles trying to escape. So for the several weeks, miraculously, my team 
kept going, helping each other to survive, uh, evacuating families, helping out friends, also being in touch with our partners and many of who ended up in occupied territories. Some of them now are liberated, others still remain in occupation. So uh, that just adds to the complexity of keeping the program afloat. I mean, we're talking survival here. The next uh, step is keeping the program afloat, uh, which we managed to do simultaneously. And again, I'll reiterate that with luck, my team uh, remained safe and unharmed, like physically unharmed at least. And we managed to turn around our program really quickly. And of course, uh, first of all, that was the first response. And we're still talking about the development aid. Uh, rules still apply. While we had several waivers uh, provided by the USAID, like branding waiver to minimize the risks of uh, becoming the targets of Russian occupying forces, uh, everything else had to still be by the book. So there were some administrative burdens, of course, like terminating or putting uh, contracts on hold. Let's focus on more of the programmatic shift and how we managed to pivot and turn around our program. So the first thing that we did and having the partnerships in place, the partnerships that were possible because of our design around the systems, uh, we just took those agreements and the existing partnerships and we went to the market and asked them, okay, what's the immediate needs and how can we best address them? Let's say if we didn't have those partnerships and if we didn't have that foundation, we wouldn't have been able to react because uh, the procurement procedures take up months. Building out new partnerships take up months. We did not have months. We had days. So we managed to leverage the private sector in a beautiful way. And one of the examples that I want to highlight is not the one that you would imagine talking about the private sector engagement, but which is a great illustration, in my opinion, that uh, market systems approach goes beyond economic growth programs. It goes beyond the actual private sector companies. Uh, so the example is our work with the association of communities, of municipalities, you can say. Um, we had a partnership with them. And uh, with the beginning of the war, they identified the immediate needs in the rural communities for emergency supplies, critical supplies, uh, also looking at the needs of the local farmers, how they were impacted by the hostilities. And uh, as we went into the second, third week and then second, third months of the program, that's all still considered as a, an immediate response. We built out a completely new initiative with this partner, leveraging other private sector companies like Bayer and other uh, producers of inputs, and we managed to support and deliver those products to the affected territories. Uh, the role that this association played was primarily logistics in the beginning, but more importantly, uh, a facilitating role, bringing in different actors together. Uh, communities from the safer areas would be helping communities in occupied territories or liberated territories. Companies that uh, produced uh, anything of any importance at the affected territories would jump on that bandwagon and uh, use this delivery system that was 
entirely new because you can imagine with the war, all your traditional supply routes, they're destroyed. I mean, starting with the physical destruction of bridges and roads, ending up with just breakages in the supply chain. So you no longer have uh, uh, pharmacies open. They don't have any goods coming in. You don't have the shops. You don't have basic foods or basic hygiene items. So all of that uh, we try to address uh, with this partnership. Uh, that we've built in the years prior to this. And they managed to work with the champions, who we call our champion companies, in the market to support those who suffered the most. And to end that example, one of our uh, partner from the private sector ended up being the local uh, post and delivery service. Uh, that was absolutely beautiful. So we had an example of great private sector involvement uh, where we didn't even partner up with the private sector, but with as association of communities. And uh, we used our systems thinking to identify the needs and uh, sort of being able to satisfy those needs. That example is, is excellent in that uh, what we are seeing kind of in these conflict-affected situations is that the market actors are actually people from those communities. And, and often they have skill sets and knowledge that allows them to respond in a certain way. It creates almost a, a, a social capital connection between people that is has a commercial foundation, but has then emerges into a much more important kind of connection that may actually improve the way the market works uh, coming out of such an event like this. Could you speak to that in terms of what you're seeing? This is an excellent example of uh, what we saw with the beginning of the war. If we're talking mm -hmm. about the private sector engagement and uh, looking at how the systems work and how behaviors are changing, it's all still about the relationships and seeing mm -hmm. how this time of crisis really impacted of how uh, different actors interacted was uh, uh, intensified by the need and the joint understanding that we are in this crisis together uh, we've been trying to address for years the reluctancy of the market actors to cooperate whether it's because of the 70 years of the soviet union because the legacy of collectivization uh, or other shocks in the system where ukrainian businesses are inclined to work individually and are reluctant to go into partnerships and into cooperation. And that often becomes the cornerstone of all the issues, inability to form large enough batches, inability to export, to succeed ultimately. And here, overnight, we're seeing a huge change united by the crisis, businesses, as well as other physical persons, unite to try to achieve the common goal. In our case, supporting the production, supporting the survival. Yeah, this point that you just made, which is so critical, is that markets work better when there's real social capital, real connection and, and willingness to work together, build alliances. Maybe related to that is, a, it's a little, is an interesting issue about adaptation. So initially, of course, you have to kind of deal with the immediate needs, uh, which the market actors kind of helped uh, do in terms of, you know, logistics, like you said, identifying problems, figuring out how to get uh, needs in places where, say, the government couldn't do or needed to be supplemented just because of the scale of the issue. Uh, has there been opportunities to even pivot to focus more on just the market side, keeping markets active, maybe even expanding markets with, uh, through opportunities that have emerged uh, uh, 
by people moving around or by having to deliver products in different ways or having to change uh, products in some cases, uh, that, that kind of is more market oriented. There were many things that we started doing differently and primarily is uh, the changes in the, uh, in the routes and the supply chains, because not only the occupied territories, which is uh, for our audience is about 25% of the country, that's significant, but also a huge uh, migration of population. We with about twenty to thirty percent out migration, and then all of the displacement within the country. Naturally, that caused uh, need for a lot of shifts in our programming and addressing those needs. But the major change was uh, what the war also brought to Ukraine was the blockage of the Black Sea, uh, and with that. Uh, 90% of Ukrainian export just stopped. Uh, and that's an implication for global food security as Ukraine supplies many countries in Africa and Asia and is a critical supplier of wheat and corn and other commodities. So well, with that came the biggest challenge uh, and the biggest shift for our program. As prior to the war, we never worked in that sector. Grain and oil seed is a pretty successful sector in Ukraine. It accounts for about 30% of our exports. Never been seen as the sector that needed the technical assistance. With the collapse of export infrastructure, uh, that changed. And uh, now we're dealing with managing not just a program that is focused on let's help Ukraine survive and revive Ukraine's economy. It's about let's support Ukraine, that Ukraine continues to feed the world. It's a completely different lens and new parameters are at play here. So not only that we received a new major value chain to work with, the challenges uh, were not typical to the ones that we're, we were used to deal with. And uh, also the portrait of our typical client changed from uh, your typical small, medium businesses in, let's say, underserving value chains here now with major players that account for 70% of Ukraine's production of these export commodities. Uh, and I just named the new challenges for us, completely new sector to deal with, uh, new challenges uh, and collapse of the export infrastructure. So the approach, the systemic approach, looking at the market system, that's what helped us get up and running in no time. We didn't need the months to gather information, which we did. Uh, slowly rolling out, of course, we systematized the data, but an important lesson was what do you do without the data available? Uh, that was another challenge, another management challenge for us. Uh, what if the security situation doesn't allow you to gather the data? Uh, what if you no longer can rely on the data that you collect because everything collapsed? The supply chains are all different. The prices, global prices changed. Uh, local prices also are so volatile because of the new logistics and so many unknowns. Our approach remains uh, the cornerstone of how we went about this new challenge. And what we did first were gathering all the market actors, major players together and listening and vetting what their main issues were. And we continue to do so to date because those issues, they change in the two years, almost two years of the war, the challenges. While they remain the same, the priorities shifted. Uh, 
So talking to the market actors, identifying the ones who were willing to invest during the war, and then uh, identifying several ways how we could support the market. Again, uh, distinguishing between the immediate need and survival for the smaller companies versus something that's strategic and could bring us back to the pre-war levels of production and then immediate need for moving the grain out of the country. So diverse challenges, but the approach that helped us through this was talk to your market actors, identify the champion companies, and then design interventions together sort of as a co-creation process and co-invest with the private sector to alleviate, alleviate those pressures. Uh, and again, uh, we're moving forward using the same market systems approach. Uh, we're looking at behavior changes and doing things that the businesses were not inclined to do before, like investing in processing. One of the things you pointed out that is also really important is that while all conflicts are, are have always, and certainly in Ukraine, very negative consequences and outcomes, they also present some odd opportunities if you, if you can find them, and often using systems lenses, you can find them. Another one that we saw with access to finance, uh, sometimes you may think that the biggest shock comes, uh, you know, the war broke out or the hurricane. So the immediate shock and the immediate aftermath is the worst it can guess, it can get. However, this is not always true. Uh, for agriculture sector, for instance, in Ukraine, the first year uh, since the beginning of the full-scale invasion was easier than the second one because going into the first year of the war, uh, agriculture companies, agro-producers all went in with huge incomes from the previous very successful year. So they had a lot of cash. Second year, with uh, the blockages of export and uh, respectively, uh, the increased cost of logistics and the blockage of the seaport, that's the cheapest and more straightforward uh, uh, export route, partnered with the change of the uh, inland ways caused logistics to pretty much into the whole profitability of production. Now we're even talking generating about 20% of loss on the harvest. So we're now seeing even companies that would leave corn in the field because it's more expensive to harvest it than to leave it out. Uh, so this year, there's uh, even greater shortage uh, in funding. So that created new opportunities and uh, new ways for us to look at financing tools. Uh, our program is not responsible for creating the the funding itself, so we do not provide the financing. We managed to offset the cost and by this unlock the blended finance tools uh, by several big inputs producers in Ukraine. And now we're developing a B2B product for accessing financing. It's more expensive, but it's available. It's quick and available to all companies that are not even bankable either due to the war or lack of collateral. So uh, the new opportunities and the new products emerge because the demand for uh, external financing is so high and companies are willing to take more risk uh, to put those products on the market. I think in the long run, we will be seeing this sector transforming itself in a more sophisticated digital uh, sector with quick access to financing. Uh, a really great point you brought out is that in times of, of crisis, in times of where the risk substantially goes up, there is a real value point of 
uh, of thinking about blended finance, where uh, a public good or a project pivots to provide some way of lowering the cost so that still finance flows, financial service providers remain viable as a business, but also the, the capital flows at a cost that's reasonable uh, given the, all the sets of circumstances that keeps the situation alive. Uh, that seems to be a quite an important kind of pivot or challenge, but quite an important one to get that balance right. One of the things that you've mentioned quite often and seems to be a real central uh, capacity is this sense making and sensing constantly of what the dynamics are, where how things are changing. Uh, you know, there's there's migration that you talked about. There's actual uh, active conflict. There's uh, some land that's coming back under the controls could become productive again, but you have to figure out how to deal with mines or contamination and those kinds of issues. There's the changing international landscape, which is uh, itself uh, a challenge, right? So there's almost no end of dynamics in this environment, but you still have to kind of keep your, uh, you know, hands and eyes on on a very fast moving target. Is there ways that you've kind of adapted in terms of your uh, data collection and thinking and learning and adapting? Uh, to to kind of speed up the cycles of learning and, and adapting since uh, things are moving so fast? Yeah, great. Great question. For the information gathering, we're partnering with Vicara on some elements of that work to keep us on our toes and make sure that we are integrating some of the pieces uh, or um, highlighting some of the work that we do to scale it up and to make sure that there's more impact from our immediate initiatives. Since the beginning of the war, we even intensified our data collection and do this on a quarterly basis. In addition to our regular uh, pause and reflect session, we adapt our program constantly. We've actually built out this program using agile principles. We do the rolling uh, work plan. We do the pause and reflect session each quarter and uh, uh, introduce different changes, even small pivots uh, based on the learnings from this data gathering, from talking to the market actors. Uh, I'll give you one example. Uh, We saw the potential with partnering up with the World Food Program for fortified flour. So we tailored our processing component to include this specific program for flower fortification. We try to boost that particular area because we learned that the market is there and the opportunity is there. And then that uh, caused us to go and consult with the producers of flour, uh, study other markets, international markets with or without the WFP. Uh, we did the new concept for the program and tailored the portion of our processing towards flower fortification, because we believe that it's not only the global food security, it's the business is there for our producers and there's a higher value addition there. It seems like they're going to have to have a lot stronger interaction with humanitarian programs. How has that evolved over time, that interaction and that working with uh, humanitarian programs, especially since some of them have you know, responded as that you would expect with very large uh, amounts of money to support the, the needs and the transitions and the immediate concerns that, on the ground? Uh, that's uh, also a great example of like the need to pivot. Uh, in the beginning of the war, we all found ourselves 
sort of feeling that we all need to be humanitarian organizations, but there's also the there is this uh, limitation that no development dollar should be used for humanitarian purposes. So each needs to stay in your lane. Uh, but I am a strong uh, proponent of collaboration and finding synergies with the association of the communities. We support them to provide the logistics and consultations and the linkages. And then we link them up with other donors, private, public, international, and everybody can use that network to more efficiently address the needs. Uh, with that, I'll give you another example. Um when uh, Russia blew up the dam and caused this huge environmental catastrophe, but also human catastrophe, uh, they were able to get to the affected areas uh, very quickly. They were one of the first ones on the ground. And we saw many humanitarian organizations using their routes, their vehicles to get there and bring the pumps, boats, the critical goods. So what we do is... We provide the tools, the means, we'll build up the partnerships and then have anyone else who needs it, use it. Again, that example is so important, meaning that there is a lot of uh, skill sets and capacity and often it's uh, simple stuff like logistics the private sector can do and respond to and be leveraged in times of crisis. But also it keeps the private sector active and kind of ready to progress once the circumstances change and they can start focusing in on less immediate needs and thinking a little bit more about the business. How are you seeing uh, the, the shifts in population? Uh, how is that still kind of managing to keep things functioning? I remember a story about some of the population relocating their businesses to areas where that are less uh, conflict affected. Uh, and you guys are doing a lot of help to make sure that the moving population stays active, stays productive where possible. I think you'd be amazed if you just uh, came to Ukraine right now. It's uh, bustling, it's busy. Uh, uh, Kyiv will give you an impression that it's uh, more intense than during the pre-war times. So I'd like you to have that visual of Ukraine as still a vibrant and very well-functioning country. There are areas uh, affected by hostilities and that were under occupations with atrocities and trauma and uh, lack of life. Uh, there are still territories with active hostilities uh, ongoing uh, for agriculture that's specifically uh, all areas that were at one time under occupation and, and some, uh, that's the contamination by mines and other ordinances. So the challenges are very diverse. As to businesses that uh, managed to relocate at least somewhat, uh, they continue running with full speed trying to revive. So one of our components of our work is actually technical expertise on uh, documenting uh, war crimes and documenting the damages of the war all done with a purpose to account for the loss, uh, but also to support the businesses to identify what needs they have. Uh, many of them will still have parts of their businesses either destroyed or remaining in occupation, uh, whereas they managed to relocate something or relocated themselves and started new productions. And those are inspiring and amazing stories. And uh, uh, we just recently held an event and gathered not only our partners, but anyone who's still there 
and available and runs their businesses to talk about those specific challenges. All those challenges are immense. Uh, it's not something that one single donor or even one single country can do on their own. A very short story of one amazing woman and owner of a very innovative uh, dairy and meat production company. In Kharkiv Oblast, she was under occupation within the, within the next like two hours from the beginning of the war. Their territory has been liberated. All of her amazing farm was destroyed, but she's back there and she's rebuilding from scratch. She's the one who held her village afloat. She took all the uh, remains of the crops that she had for fodder and they were baking bread to keep people alive. So not just carried through the crisis, but really carried her community through the worst times. And now since the liberation, she's back at home and trying to rebuild her farm. And uh, I think this is the primary focus for the next several years and rebuilding of Ukraine. Uh, looking at the country from these two very different perspectives, the safer areas that can be the points, like those magnets for development, and then looking at how we can rebuild where there's ability to rebuild. Not all of the territories will be able to reconstruct within the next several years because of the contamination or just being fully eliminated, annihilated, you can say. But then there are some with the people active, with the love for what they do, and all they need is just some support to rebuild what they started. And those are two different initiatives. And again, building on what we know, how to engage with the private sector, looking at their needs and trying to match them to stimulate them to invest and continue operations where it makes sense. Yeah, again, very inspiring stories. You see in these circumstances where market actors play a, a critically important role in these kind of resilience challenges, shocks and stress challenges. What would be some kind of key takeaways or recommendations you would have in terms of tr uh, running an MSD program that, as it gets turned into kind of a a program that has to deal with such a, 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 sh a strong and long-term shock. Uh, obviously, the, the scale and the intensity of this shock is, is extraordinary in Ukraine. But any examples or advice you can give that would be helpful? I think I've carried this advice with me even before the war. Uh, I think it, once you understand that MSD is not a theory and just nice to have, but adapt it as a philosophy, as an approach, and believe that it just makes sense, uh, that's all you need to know to apply it in the conflict-affected area because it just makes sense. It makes sense to look at the root causes. It makes sense to partner up with the champions, with the drivers, because uh, I haven't mentioned, but I think we all know from our personal experiences that uh, people are different and the market actors are different. Uh, somebody like in the face of shock will fight Others will flee. So yes, you do, you have the different sets of criteria to decide who your champion is, but you still identify those locomotives who will power through and who you can work with. And here, uh, I'd say applying MSD in the times of crisis is even more critical for your success because uh, relying on the market actors, relying on the people on the ground, you have the access to information you'll know who to support and what to support. And you'll be sort of the leading 
strength from behind. Yeah, you may be skipping the systematic analysis of all the data because you don't have the luxury of time or the luxury of data for that matter. But you can rely on those businesses and on the people because you know what? They are the most motivated to survive and the most motivated to rebuild. So yes, you can be the facilitating force. You can help shape how they will continue uh, rebuilding. But to be quick there in the beginning in addressing the immediate needs, but also to be strategic. Yeah, again, your point is really great where it is uh, systems thinking helps because what it does is focuses on the current context. You know, what are the people going through now? What is their circumstance? What's their context? And you move from that. Also really like your point about the importance of thinking about the immediate need in the context of longer term. Uh, while you have to provide the immediate need, it's really quite central to getting people through whatever immediate challenges they may have, like it's feeding and getting away from conflict or, uh, you know, rebuilding it depending on when the conflict ends and they can kind of get their sense of access back to their property. There's also this idea that how that need kind of evolves or gets delivered can have an effect on the longer term relationships. And, and I really like how the, the kind of way you dealt with a lot of the immediate needs has created a social capital and get along the commercial lines, that is going to be a huge benefit uh, coming out. Of. It seems like, uh, you know, like you said, it's very vibrant now uh, as, a, as a place. There, there are really competitiveness now. There's inclusivity now. There's zero, and there's really clearly uh, strong indications of, of, of high levels of resilience. Any last words that you would have? I want to highlight that it is indeed the systemic thinking that helps you make sure that you don't only address uh, the immediate needs, but also in trying to develop or rebuild uh, the businesses, you don't harm the system. We've been very tight with the deputies, with our parliamentary committee, with the ministry on adapting regulations. We had one instance when we had to like grab the experts by the hand and say, no, well, yes, you need to simplify certain things during the wartime, but doing that specific thing, you will lay the foundation for corruption. And in 10 years, we'll have the massive issue with land titles. It's not just then all of a sudden about survival or supporting businesses per se. It's not the transactions only that matter. It's about how you approach this holistically. And MSD is the key to making sure that you're looking at different elements of the system. I want to thank Ksenia. That was a great conversation. Lots of insights and, and, and inspirational and aspirational all at the same time. Thanks so much, Mike. It was great talking to you today. Thank you for listening to MSS Insights, Innovations in Market Systems, a limited podcast series hosted by MarketLinks and the Vakar Institute during the 2023 Market Systems Symposium. We hope you gained invaluable insights from our guests in today's episode. To continue the conversation and access additional resources, visit our website at www.marketlinks.org and follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and X, formerly known as Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast series, which is available on most podcast platforms to stay up to date on our upcoming episodes and leave a review.